We'll be reading from the book of Luke, chapter 18, verses 1 through 7. It's Luke chapter 18, verses 1 through 7. If you'd like to follow along in the Black Pew Bibles in front of you, um, you can turn to page 877. So Luke 18, verses 1 through 7. Hear now the reading of God's holy and inerrant word. And he told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. He said, in a certain city there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. And there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him and saying, give me justice against my adversary. For a while he refused, but after a word he said to himself, though I neither fear fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. And the Lord said, hear what the unrighteous judge says, and will not God give justice to his elect? who cry out to him day and night. Will he delay long over them? This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. Let's pray once more. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the wonderful privilege and honor it is to be able to hold your word in our hands to be able to read it, to be able to study it, and to be able to hear it preached. For we recognize that there are almost 2,500 people groups who do not have a Bible in their own language. And so may we realize, as the word is preached this morning, that all scripture is indeed breathed out by you and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness so that every one of us who call Christ as our Lord and Savior may be equipped for every good work that you've prepared for us. And so we ask that your spirit would bless this time as your word is preached, and we ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. So this past year, I had the opportunity to participate in a ministry here at our church called English Buddy. So for those of you who don't know what English Buddy is, it's an opportunity for our church members to be paired up with an international student to have conversations with them. And it's the hope that as you participate in this English Buddy ministry, that the conversations would eventually turn to conversations about Christ. And that these conversations about Christ will ultimately lead to these international students that we are paired with to come to faith in Christ as their personal Lord and Savior. So the English Buddy Ministry paired me up with an international student from Beijing. He came here to the University of Houston to study supply chain management. And once I found out that I had been paired up with him, my wife and I began to pray, and pray especially for his salvation. And we scheduled times to meet regularly. We met, we talked about his resume, which we worked on extensively. Uh, We talked about different topics, such as his research project about alleviating traffic in Houston, which I thought was wonderful because of the traffic that we experience regularly. He also shared with me about the Chinese culture and how it viewed marriage and divorce. Now, as we continued in having these conversations, we also had opportunities to talk about spiritual things a few times. 
I remember having the opportunity to share with him the gospel when I shared with him that my wife and I were considering the possibility of adoption. I remember we invited him to watch the film Case for Faith to our small group. We even invited him to join us for our Good Friday service. Uh, but unfortunately, halfway through the service, he tended to doze off. I think he was looking forward and anticipating our time together afterwards much more than understanding the service. And so although my wife and I prayed for him regularly, he remained uninterested in spiritual things. He remained unengaged, unwilling to talk about spiritual matters. And after he and his wife gave birth to a son, they returned to Beijing. Uh, Josephine and I continued to pray for him and for his salvation, but that prayer continues to remain unanswered. Now, many of us have unanswered prayers. We have prayers that God has still yet or may not be answering. Some of us may think about unbelieving family members that we've prayed for for years. And with every passing year, they seem to be more and more uninterested in God. Some of us may be praying for a pregnancy and time and time again, we experience disappointment. Some of us may be praying for a spouse. And with every subsequent date, you begin to wonder, where are those quality guys? Or where are those quality gals? Some of you may be praying for healing for a family member, maybe for a job. That we have prayers that we offer up, and yet God seems not to answer. And so what are we supposed to do? Uh, what should we do when our prayers go unanswered? When we pray to God and he seems to be silent. What should we do when our prayers go unanswered? To answer this question, we're turning to the Gospel of Luke, specifically in Luke chapter 18. And so if you haven't turned there already, please turn there with me. Now, Luke chapter 18 happens in a very unique part of the Gospel of Luke. Because Luke has something that no other Gospel has. He has this travel log that goes from Luke chapter 9 all the way to chapter 19. This travel log of how he was going to Jerusalem. Now this travel log is more than a geographical journey, but it's more of a spiritual journey about what does it mean to follow Jesus Christ as our Lord. And it's interesting that Luke chapter 18, talking about this idea of unanswered prayer, happens in this travelogue. That to be a disciple of Christ is to learn how to deal with unanswered prayer. So in this text, we're going to answer three questions. First question is, what should we do? And then the next question would be, why? And lastly, what should our attitude be? And the answers to each of these questions will build on the next. So what should we do? Why? And what should our attitude be? So what should we do when our prayers are unanswered? We need to pray continually. We need to pray persistently. We need to pray doggedly. That we need to not give up. Don't be discouraged. Continue to offer up our prayers to God, even though they remain unanswered. That we need to learn to pray continually. 
It's interesting because Jesus teaches his disciples to develop a practice of continual prayer in the passage, specifically in Luke chapter 18, verse 1. Let me read it for us. And he told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. We see that Jesus emphasizes two lessons about continual prayer. First, continual prayer is necessary. We see in verse 1, Luke uses the word ought. They ought always to pray. But if you look in the Greek, a stronger translation would be that it is necessary always to pray. That is essential. That continual prayer is necessary for a follower of Christ. Now, when we think of continual prayer, when he says pray always, does that mean we should be praying every single minute of our life? That from the moment we wake up to the moment that we sleep, we need to be praying. And even as you're sitting in service, you need to be praying right now, especially for me, as the word is being preached. You need to be praying always. Is that what Jesus is saying when he's talking about continual prayer? I mean, think about it. When the dentist tells you, you need to always brush your teeth. Does that mean you have a toothbrush in your mouth throughout the whole day, brushing as you're going along, as you commute to work or as you walk to class? Does that mean always brushing your teeth? No, the dentist means every morning and every evening, be sure to brush your teeth and floss as well. Right? That the idea of always is not a constant thing, but the idea is to have a regular set-aside time to pray. Now again, Jesus teaches that such continual prayer is necessary. Well, why is it necessary? You see in the entire Gospel of Luke that prayer occurs more times than any other Gospel. I mean, you see Jesus praying all the time. After he chooses his disciples, he's found praying. Before Peter confesses that Jesus is the Christ, Jesus is praying. Jesus is praying before the transfiguration. Jesus is praying at the Garden of Gethsemane. And even in the Gospel of Luke, we have three unique parables talking about prayer. You remember the parable of that persistent neighbor that continues to knock asking for bread? The parable of the persistent widow that we're talking about this morning? And then there's the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector also talking about prayer. So Luke seems to emphasize in his gospel that to follow Christ is to learn to pray. That prayer is necessary and it needs to be continual. But he also makes a comment that continual prayer is hard. It's difficult. It's challenging. In verse 1, he uses the phrase, and not lose heart. Another way to render this particular phrase is do not grow weary, do not grow tired, do not grow bored with prayer, that you need to continue to pray. And we recognize, we all do, that prayer is hard work. It requires time to pray. It requires a sense of awareness to pray. You also have to be able to know what to pray, that prayer is difficult and it is challenging, but we must do it. And so if continual prayer is so necessary, and even though it is difficult, we need to develop a practice of praying regularly. We need to be able to set aside time in our schedule 
to pray. Now, I'm not talking about praying before breakfast, before lunch, before dinner. I know we all set aside time to pray then. But I'm talking about a regular time where you're able to lay out your burdens before the Lord, whether it be in the morning or evening, that you put it in your calendar and set aside time to pray. And not only do you set aside time to pray, but keep a list of what you're praying for. What are the prayer requests that you are interceding for people? What are things that you are asking God to do? Keep a list of it. Keep it in a note in your phone, maybe in your notebook or your Evernote file, or an app like PrayerMate or Echo, that you are keeping track of what you're praying for. I have a friend who has a Word document. He puts every single prayer request in this document and reviews it on Mondays to see what prayers have been answered and what prayers still need to be given. That we need to be able to keep a list of what we're praying for. Now, then the question is, why? Why do we pray continually, even though our prayers are unanswered? Why do we continue to persist in praying, even though God has not given a response? We pray continually, we pray persistently, because God hears us. God hears you. Imagine sending your prayer in the form of an iMessage text or a Facebook message. When you send it, you see the line delivered at 9.30 a.m. But once you offer it, it's immediately read by God. That once the message is sent, you receive a read receipt immediately, instantaneously. Because even before you think and even before you utter your prayer, God knows. God hears you. So why do we pray continually? We pray continually because God hears you. Now, Jesus illustrates how an unjust judge hears the request of a widow due to her persistence. That an unjust, unrighteous, evil man listens to the prayer of a persistent widow. So let's look at the first two characters. The first character we're introduced to is this unjust judge who looked only to his own interests. He only looked out for himself. Now, we see this in verse 2. He said, in a certain city, there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. Now, a judge in Israel needed to do two things. One, uphold the law, as explained in the book of Exodus. The second thing is to look out for the oppressed, the widow, the orphan, those who are in the margins that the judge is to make sure that justice would be meted out. But we see here in verse 2 that this judge didn't fear God, had no care for his commandments or his instructions or his laws, and he didn't respect man either. He didn't care what man thought. So if you're looking for a judge who loved God with all his heart, mind, soul, and strength and loved his neighbor as himself, this judge would not fit those qualities. Now, we're also introduced to a second character, the widow. The widow who needed someone to look out for her. She needed an advocate. We see this in verse 3. And there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him and saying, Give me justice against my adversary. Now, in the first century, a widow was powerless. In order to bring a case before the court, before the judge, she would need an advocate, 
an uncle, a brother, someone to bring the case before the judge so that justice could be meted out. But she had no one. So she had to do it herself. So imagine the scene. The judge is standing at the gate where all legal cases are typically resolved. This unjust judge is standing there. And you see the queue, the line of people waiting to have their cases heard. And in the middle of that line, there is the widow. And of course, eventually it becomes her turn. The widow shares her case to the judge about how possibly a person is trying to take her land as possibly even her sons into slavery. And the judge hears and goes, hmm, hmm, hmm. And the widow then finishes her case and asks for justice. And then the judge asks, well, how much money do you have? And she responds, what? And said, how much money do you have? Because for me to take your case, it'll cost maybe a denarius or maybe two. Do you have that type of money? And there was a, no, I have nothing. I have no type of money to be able to pay. And the judge says, well, then I can't take your case. Goodbye. And then she walks off. And the judge then thinks, good riddance. Maybe I'll never see her again. But then when he walks into the marketplace to maybe get his daily groceries, the widow is right there next to him asking, please take my case. And then he dismisses her. Maybe he decides that evening to go to the local pub to have a drink with some friends. And as he opens the door, what does he see? The widow is sitting at the table that he always sits at, waiting to ask for him to take her case. When he goes back in the evening to his house, who does he see at her house, or at his house? The widow, again, asking for him to take her case that everywhere he goes, she, he sees this widow. Even when he dreams at night, he dreams about this widow asking and persistently asking for justice. And eventually, all he can think about, all he can see is this widow asking for justice. And he says, enough, I give up. I'll give you your justice that you're seeking. Now, it's interesting because in verse 4, it talks about the idea that the widow's persistence led the unjust judge to look out for her interest. That the persistence, the constant asking for justice, led the judge to give in. Uh, verse 4 says this, For a while he refused, but afterward he said to himself, Though I neither feared God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. If you look at that verse, this idea of beat me down is the term taken from boxing. It's as though that judge is kind of in that corner and the widow has her dukes up, you know, and strikes him and strikes him again and strikes him twice and just continues to pummel him until he's beat into submission and says, fine, I give up. And now you may wonder, why, why does Jesus tell this parable of this wicked man and this persistent widow. Because Jesus is using this argument of lesser to the greater. That if this unjust man, this unjust judge, hears the request of this helpless widow, then God who is just, won't he hear your request? Won't he hear your prayer? That God who loves humanity, who loves his children, 
won't he hear what you have to say? Now, you have to really wonder, you know, why does God even hear our prayers? Because he doesn't need to. We are sinners, he is not. I mean, we go about our day committing sin, disobedience to God. Yet why does God hear us? I mean, after all, just as oil and water do not mix, unholy man and holy God do not mix. Why then does God hear our prayer? Well, God hears our prayers because of Jesus, because of Christ. Every time Jesus was asked of something by God the Father, Jesus did it. Unflinching obedience. Every time Jesus asked for something, God the Father granted it. When Jesus asked for a lame person to be healed, the lame person walked. When Jesus asked for the blind man to see, he saw. When Jesus asked God the Father to forgive a person of their sins, they were forgiven. Every time Jesus asks of something, God listens. But then there were two instances where God did not answer Jesus. When Jesus asked for the cup to be removed from him at the Garden of Gethsemane, God was silent. When Jesus hung on the cross at Calvary, and cried out, my God, my God. God did not answer him. Why did God not answer him? God did not answer him because that when Jesus was hung on that cross, the righteousness, the sinless life that he lived was given to us. That God did not answer Jesus so that God could answer us that we know that God hears us because of what Christ has done. Tim Keller puts it this way in his book, Prayer, Experiencing Awe and Intimacy. We know God will answer us when we call because one terrible day he did not answer Jesus when he called. Now, for those of you who are unbelievers, what does that mean for you? After all, the relationship between you and God is still separate. And there's only one prayer that God desires for you to offer. A prayer of repentance, a prayer of belief, a prayer of faith. That you believe what Christ has done for you on the cross to die for your sins and rose again. And to turn from your ways. That is the prayer that God desires for you to offer. But for those of us who have called Christ as our Lord and Savior, we know that he hears us. And so we need to believe that God hears your prayers because of what Christ has done. So then the question is, we know that God hears us, but then what should our attitude be? What should our belief be? What should we even think? Hear this. Uh, from verse 6. And the Lord said, Hear what the unrighteous judge says. 
And will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? Jesus promises that God will answer the requests of his followers soon. Now, soon, we oftentimes think, is immediately. But sometimes his answers take a while. Sometimes we think prayer is more like a soda machine where we insert our prayer and then we get a soda immediately right afterwards. But prayer doesn't work that way. That God oftentimes takes his time in responding. And specifically when it comes to prayers of justice, especially as we see things that are wrong in our world, that those prayers may not be answered now, but may be answered later. We see this, especially in the preceding section in Luke chapter 17, where he's talking about this idea of the kingdom of God coming. Uh, In verse 21, he talks about this idea that the kingdom of God is in the midst of you, but then goes on to say, but the kingdom of God is still not yet. That the kingdom of God is here, but it's still coming. And that we exist in this in-between time where God, when he will make things right, has begun, but not yet. That we are waiting for Christ's return to make all the wrongs that we see right. And some of those prayers that we offer for justice, for right to be done, may not be answered until Christ's return. There's this idea in this verse in this question, will he delay long over them? The word delay is this word that could also mean patience. Uh, this idea of patience is not just waiting, but it's waiting for a long time. Uh, the same word is used in 2 Peter 3, verse 9, where it talks about the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise as some count slowness, but is patient towards you that God will answer and fulfill his promise, but it may take a while. For him, one day is a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. So sometimes that idea of soon and of quickly may not always come. So we need to trust his timely reply, that we need to believe that his reply will always be well-timed, well-suited, and appropriate. And that is why we pray continually. We pray continually because God hears you, so you trust in his timely response, in his timely answer. So we need to know that God's goodness means that we receive the response at the best possible time. That because God is good, God is just, God is righteous, we know that whatever his response is will be best for us. Now, sometimes the response to our prayers is no. Sometimes God says no. Because what we're asking for may not ultimately be in our best interest. I mean, a parent understands this. Before dinner, the child asks, Mom, can I have a snack? Maybe a bag of Cheez-Its or a handful of potato chips? And Mom will say, no. Why? Because dinner is coming. If you have a snack now, it's going to ruin your appetite. Mom knows best. And sometimes God will answer our prayer requests 
with a no, because God knows best. Now, there are other times where God will reply, wait. Sometimes God's response will be, wait. And we all understand this as well. I mean, when a nine-year-old child asks, Dad, can I drive the car to the grocery store? Answer is, no, of course not. Your feet can't even reach the gas pedal or even the brake pedal. I know that particular answer because I was once that child. But then it doesn't mean that you will never be able to get to drive your car. As you continue to grow and during your teenage year, maybe with some fear and trepidation on the parents, you will then be having your driving permit. And then when you ask, Dad, can I drive us to the grocery store? The answer will be yes, with concern, but yes. Right? Sometimes God's reply will be wait. And I think sometimes when we offer up our prayers to the Lord, sometimes the response is wait. We may not know why God is having us to wait. I remember the story of my professor. He and his wife were unable to conceive for the longest time. And as they served as missionaries in Ethiopia, it led them to adopt two Ethiopian children. And they came into their home. Now, God responded to their request for a child with a no, but also a wait. That as they waited, they had the opportunity to adopt these two children into their family. I mean, think about it. If God had given them a biological children, these two Ethiopian kids may still be in an orphanage somewhere. We never know what God, why God has us wait as we pray to him, why those responses are delayed, even though we know that God hears us. Now, it's interesting because we sometimes fail to realize that God has omniscience. We don't. We don't know all the facts. We don't know every single detail. We don't know why God may not be granting our prayer request for a job. I mean, he controls all the situations and circumstances and details in terms of perhaps project load, workload, openings, people resigning from their position. But God knows those things because God alone has that foresight and has that knowledge to know what is appropriate to answer, what is appropriate to say yes to, and what prayer requests that he allows to answer. Tim Keller puts it this way when he talks about God granting requests in his same book, Prayer, Experiencing Awe and Intimacy. He writes this, that God will either give us what we ask or give us what we would have asked for if we knew everything he knew. That God will either give us what we ask or give us what we would have asked for if we knew everything that he knew. That sometimes we need to wait, but to also trust, because God is good, his reply will be timely, it will be appropriate. Now, Jesus also challenges us to keep on praying even when those prayer requests are not answered. He gives us this challenge in this last verse, specifically in verse 8. He says, I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? 
that when Jesus returns to take his kingdom, when Jesus comes to take his place on the throne as ruler of heaven and earth, will he find us persistently praying? Will he find us praying continually for the things of God and for the requests that remain unanswered? Or will he find us going about our regular everyday routine because we have grown tired, because we have grown weary? That the requests that we present daily, weekly, monthly, have just made us so discouraged that we pray no longer. Jesus is challenging us for those requests, those prayers that are unanswered, continue to persist, continue to pray, pray continually. So this morning we talked about this idea, this importance of praying continually because God hears you. God knows what you're asking for. So trust his timely reply. Trust his answer. So again, the answers to the three questions that were presented before. What do we do when our prayers are unanswered? Pray continually. Well, why? Because God hears you. And then what should our attitude and what should our belief or what should our thinking be? Is that we trust his timely response and his timely reply. Over 500 years ago, uh, there was a believer by the name of George Mueller. He prayed for his five unbelieving friends, personal friends, close friends. And after praying for about five years, one friend came to Christ. He prayed again for another 10 years. Two more came to faith in Christ. He prayed for 25 years before another friend came to faith in Christ. Now for the fifth friend, George Mueller continued to pray up to his death. And then a few months after George Mueller died, the fifth and final friend came to faith in Christ as well. It took George Mueller praying 52 years before his fifth friend came to faith in Christ. Would we have the same persistence? Would we have the same attitude, that commitment, that doggedness to pray continually for so long, even if we didn't see that fifth friend come to Christ? Would we have the discipline, the attitude, the practice to pray continually, even when our prayers go unanswered? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for what Christ has done for us on the cross. We thank you for his death and his resurrection. We thank you for the fact that because of what he has done, we know, we believe, and we trust that you hear us. And so when we grow discouraged, when we grow disappointed, when we don't receive a response to our prayers, may your spirit continue to help us be committed, to be persistent in offering our prayers to you knowing that you hear us and that you will grant us a reply according to your timing, which is best for us. And so we ask these things in the name of your Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.